Well, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. How do you follow that? I don't, I'm not, should we just, we should just pray and then sing that one more time and we'll just call it a day, dude. That was so great. Well, good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm pastor here at Lake Forest Church and it is a great joy, uh, an overwhelming joy. My, My heart is kind of spilling over right now, just getting to look at your faces in person, gathered here, Easter, Easter. Uh, so great to be with you guys. I, I got a little bit worked up. I forgot to get my music stand that's right there. I'm going to hold my notes. So let me go over here awkwardly and grab it. Uh, I'll just step over. They, got, they can handle that. And we'll get this show on the road. Man, golly, that was incredible. Whew. All right. I get to do this all over again. You know, I get a whole nother service after this. I get double dose. Y'all stick around if you need a little more of that Casey Clark. I'll tell you what. Well, uh, it is that time of year again, right? And we all know this story. As the week comes to an end, and at this point, we have all been taken on a bit of an emotional roller coaster ride. One moment, it is jubilant celebration, and then the very next moment, we are filled with deep disappointment. You guessed it, March Madness is here. Now, if you've watched any of the NCAA tournament, or you, like me, were a glutton for punishment and stayed up way too late last night only to watch UCLA lose in the last 0.3 seconds of overtime, if ever there was a reason to grieve, that is it right there. (laughs) Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? In fact, if you're from North Carolina, you know that basketball is actually a kind of sacred sport. Uh, We know here in North Carolina that basketball is God's favorite. But contrary to popular opinion, basketball is not simply about the skill of your hands or the quickness of your feet. Basketball, it turns out, is all about the eyes. You see, when I was in sixth grade, uh, I decided I was going to try out for my local middle school basketball team. Now, I had never played basketball before, so I was really excited. And uh, the coach there, my middle school coach, was Coach White. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister and a coach, and he was about 180 years old. But man, did this guy know basketball, right? He, he lived it. He breathed it. So I was so excited. We show up for day one of practice, and we're there. And, and much to my surprise, all we did was dribble. We dribbled and dribbled and dribbled. And the coach made it clear. He said, anybody who takes a shot, you're off the team. Okay, so we just kept on. Day two, we show up. Dribble, 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 dribble. Day three, dribble, dribble, dribble. Day four, my friend Corey finally goes to the coach and says, Coach White, I have a question. When do we get to finally shoot? And I will never forget Coach White's answer. He looked at us. He said, boys, you only get to shoot after you've learned to dribble with your head up. If you're going to learn to play basketball, he said, you must learn to look up. Now, I didn't score a single basket my entire middle school career, but boy, could I dribble. (laughs) Well, today is Easter Sunday, the day that evil was conquered, sin was sidelined, and death was defeated. But as the scriptures tell the story, as the eyewitnesses recall the events of that day, they tell us that it all began with a moment of looking up. 2,000 years ago, a small group of Jewish women were walking to the gravesite of their beloved friend and rabbi, Jesus from Nazareth. 
He had been killed on Friday, executed, crucified. But because it was Saturday and the Sabbath, they had not been able to finish the burial preparations. And they were grieved by this. It it broke their hearts. As if it wasn't bad enough that they had lost their teacher and rabbi and friend, they could not even give him a rightful burial. So early on Sunday morning, in haste, after they had laid the the body in the tomb and sealed it with a giant stone, the women woke that morning and they decided to walk to the tomb. And as the scriptures tell it, they, they don't give us any speech. I imagine they walked in silence, heads down, grieving. As they're walking to the tomb, their grief turns to despair when suddenly they realize, oh no, who is going to roll away the stone to let us in? It's too big. We can't move it on our own. And then Mark, one of the gospel writers who recorded these events from the first person eyewitnesses, tells us what happens next. Let me read this to you. This is from Mark's gospel. He says it this way. Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And here it is. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And in that one simple moment, in that one act of looking up, their lives were changed forever. Today is the most important weekend of the year for Christians, followers of Jesus, and not simply because it's the final four. It's because we celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm so glad you're here for this moment with us, or you're joining us online. It is not by accident. I do not believe it is by accident that each and every one of you is here. God is at work in every life, in every story. And in these next few moments this morning, I want to tell you what we're going to do. I simply want to explain to you why this idea of looking up is so important. Because in life, as in basketball and in faith, it is looking up that holds the secret. Today, before we end, I'm going to give you an opportunity simply to express your commitment to Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. And it could be for you maybe an unforgettable moment that would define your story. Well, today we're going to look at three critical scenes. I promise you we won't go long. Three critical scenes in the Bible where looking up plays this central role. And we're going to see how it all builds to this very moment we just talked about. Three scenes you can track along with me in your bulletin. I'll tell you what the scenes are right here. We've got snake on a stick. Sounds like a carnival treat right there. Maybe cover it in chocolate and you're good. Snake on a stick. We've got Nick at night and learning to look up. So scene one, snake on a stick. Here we go. We're going to jump right in. Scene one begins in the book of Numbers. That's the third book of the Hebrew Bible. And here's the background. If you don't know the story, let me give you the cliff notes. God's people are enslaved in Egypt, and God uses a man named Moses to lead them to freedom. If you're a visual person, you might recall the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Remember that guy, right? He's got his staff and his robe. If you don't know Charlton Heston, just think Matthew McConaughey, only better looking and with a real beard, right? You You get the idea. So Moses, he he leads the people out of slavery in Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness. But as the Bible portrays it, they're not just wandering in the wilderness, they're also wandering from God. The people start to complain, they turn their backs on God, and as a result of all of this, the strangest thing happens. God allows snakes to come into their camp, and some of them are bitten, they get sick, and some even die. 
Y'all should read your Bibles. It's kind of a crazy story. But what we discover in this moment is that God wants to provide a way for people to come back to him. Even in this moment of the people rebelling, he wants to provide a way for them to be healed. So look at what he tells Moses to do. This is verse 8. This is in your bulletin. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake. Okay, just pause there for a second. Get, get, get your mind on this. Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look up at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Y'all, this is just a weird scene, right? Can we just admit this is kind of crazy? God tells Moses to make a bronze snake, to lift it on a pole up high. Why a snake? Like, why not something else, right? Why a snake? Well, we know that the image of a snake appears over and over again throughout the Bible. Appears, there's a snake in the Garden of Eden. You might know that story. There are snakes in Pharaoh's court. There are even snakes on a plane. Oh, wait, that's Samuel L. Jackson. All right, but you see, snakes in the Bible are a symbol for evil and everything that is wrong in this world. Everything that causes us to look down. And God's message was clear that he was greater than any sickness or evil or any brokenness in this world. And get this, not because anyone deserved it, but simply out of his compassion and grace, God makes a way for them to be healed. All the people had to do was look up. Over and over again, we see that the God of the Bible is a God who brings healing. And who in our world right now doesn't long for some healing, right? I was just thinking about this in my own life as I was working on this message. So many places where I just long for God to come and, and renew or rebuild or restore. We all long for healing. Healing in our bodies from a virus. Healing in our relationships and families. Healing the great divide in our culture and society today. And what if, I mean, really, truly, not just a Sunday talk, what if that kind of healing is actually possible? If, if I were to ask you right now, where in your life do you long for healing? If God were to ask you, where in your life do you long for healing? What would you say to him? Snake on a stick is our first scene, a little bit of an odd scene for an Easter Sunday, but stay with me. We're going to connect these dots. Scene number two, Nick at night. I just love this, Nick at night. Fast forward to scene two. We're now in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. It's nighttime, and a guy named Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus under the cover of darkness. Get it, Nick at night? I thought that was so clever. That's... All right, here we go. They're going to have a conversation and even if you're not a Bible person, if you're not a church person, I promise you, you already know a few of the lines from this conversation. I'd be willing to bet you 50 bucks you do. It's probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. Nicodemus was a leading religious scholar, uh, but in all of his religion, in all of his study, he still had not found what he was looking for. And Jesus comes to, or he comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, he says, listen, Nick, the kind of life you long for the truth you are looking for cannot be grasped through the law with its rules and regulations. It is a spiritual thing. You must be born again spiritually. Nicodemus, we're told, looks up 
at Jesus and says, Jesus, I don't get it. How can this be? And then, watch this. This is so cool. Jesus reminds him of the story of a snake on a stick. Watch this. This is from John chapter 3, verse 15. Let me read it to you. Just as Moses, this is Jesus talking to Nick, right? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, Nick, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring, referring to himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And here it is, most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Y'all, do you see what Jesus is doing here with Nicodemus? This is crazy. Jesus is hyperlinking all the way back to Moses, snake on a stick, and he's hyperlinking forward to his own death on a cross. He says, Nick, look, listen, there is coming a day when you will see me lifted up on a cross, offering my life for the life of the world. And in that moment, Nick, I want you to remember the conversation we're having right now. Because just like Moses and the snake on a stick, I will be lifted up on a cross to bring healing to the world. Now, Nick, I know you've got questions. I know you've got lots of questions, and I love your questions. But right now, are you willing to believe in me? Are you willing to trust me and be born again spiritually? See, I think there's a struggle for some of us, especially those of us who might have grown up in the Bible Belt or grown up in church. Sometimes we think that faith means having no questions or having all the answers to all the questions. And then when we have questions that we don't have answers to, we feel like we've got to fake it till we make it. We've got to kind of pretend our way into this whole Christianity thing. But that's not how it works at all. Faith is simply the decision to trust everything that I know and understand about myself to everything that I know and understand about Jesus. That's it. And the question maybe for you this morning is, have you ever made that decision? Have you, have you ever taken that step of faith? Nicodemus's questions would ultimately lead him to put his faith and trust in Jesus. In fact, did you know this? It's actually Nicodemus and his buddy Joe from Arimathea who will come and lay the body of Jesus in Joe's empty tomb. Which brings us to scene three, where we all began with the women at the tomb. Scene three, learning to look up. The day before Jesus' crucifixion, his followers were on cloud nine. They had just walked into Jerusalem to a big parade. They were on top of their game and on the way to the final four. But all of that would change in less than 24 hours. Their leader was arrested and beaten, tortured, and falsely accused. He was executed in a form of capital punishment that was specifically designed to maximize pain and to shame and terrorize the people. After he died, his body was taken off the cross and placed in a tomb carved out in the side of a rock. And in what seemed like the greatest upset ever, everything, Everything came to halt, and it was suddenly all over. His followers walked away with their heads down in total dismay. Now, I want to pause here and give props to the female disciples. 
Because the guys, quite honestly, are too afraid to even get out of bed and leave the house. They're too discouraged. But the women knew that women must always carry on and carry their load and do for the people they love. So it's the women who get up in the morning at the crack of dawn and go to the tomb to honor and prepare Jesus' body. Look again at how Mark describes this in his gospel. He says, when the Sabbath was over, Saturday is ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Can you imagine? I mean, just put yourself in that scene for a moment. The women came to the tomb in total discouragement, their heads hung low, carrying their disappointment, their dashed hopes, their broken dreams. And then suddenly they look up, they see that the stone has been rolled away, they see the tomb is empty, and everything changes like that. One of the most famous preachers of our modern age is a man named Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he pastored in London in the 19th century. He was actually considered the greatest preacher of his day. I don't know who gives out those rankings, probably People Magazine. But Spurgeon, Spurgeon still recalls the day that it all began for him, the day that he learned to look up. It was a stormy Sunday morning, he tells us. The snow was falling so thick that he could not make it to his destination. He had to take shelter. He stumbled into a small Methodist chapel with just a few people gathered to worship. The pastor was not there. He was snowed in at home. So everyone looked around wondering who was going to read the passage and give the message for the day. Finally, the local shoemaker, just an ordinary, uneducated guy from the back row, made his way forward, and he began to read the text from the old King James Version. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me, he said, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Now, I want to read this to you in Spurgeon's own words, but Jeremiah, can you pass me my book from right under the chair there? Listen to how Spurgeon tells the rest of the story. He says, the shoemaker began his sermon thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look, now looking don't take a deal of skill. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It just says, look. Any old fool can look. A man needn't go to college to learn to look. A man needn't be rich to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. Many of you is looking to yourselves, but it ain't no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. The text says, look unto me. Look up to me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look up to me, I'm hanging on a cross. Look up to me, I'm dead and buried. Look up to me, I rise again. Look up to me, I ascend to heaven. Look up to me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, my son and daughter. Oh, my brother and sister. Look up to me, look up to me. And the shoemaker looked right at me as if he could read my heart and said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. You have nothing to do but look and live. And it's right here 
that Charles Spurgeon had his moment. Listen to this. He continues. As when Moses lifted up the bronze snake and the people only had to look and they were healed, so it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word look, oh, what a charming word it seemed to me. I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, oh, the precious blood of Jesus and the simple faith that looks to him alone. Have you had that kind of moment in your life? Have you had that come to Jesus kind of moment? Where you've tried all else, you've looked out, you've tried to look forward, you've looked around, and finally you've come to the end of your rope and you just decide to look up and you realize that God has been there all along, holding your hand, walking with you, writing your story. And in that moment, you look up and say, okay, God, I'm willing to trust you. Have you had that kind of moment? I got to tell you, this year has been quite a challenge for me personally. I found my head down. You know what I'm talking about? Barely able to kind of see the next step in front of me. Little did I think we would spend an entire year in this kind of strange season as a church. And yet this Easter, I'm reminded of the invitation that God is yet victorious over our despair. He is yet victorious over our disease. He is yet victorious over our sin and our death and our separation and our isolation. He is victorious over it all. And all he asks us to do is to look up. Here's what looking up means. Looking up is simply the decision to worship God as the first thing in your life. It says, God, I'm going to acknowledge my need for your healing and forgiveness. I'm going to acknowledge that you are the leader of my life and I'm going to do my best to follow you. That's what it means to look up. And if you've never taken that step, if you've never done that, what's holding you back? Maybe like Spurgeon, you think, well, I've got 50 other things I need to do. No, no, you don't. All you have to do is look up. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a moment. But, but some of us, you, we, we've done that maybe in the past at some point. Uh, there's another group of us here that maybe we, we've looked up at some point or another, but kind of over the last year, we've social distanced from Jesus. You, you know how that works, right? Or maybe you started social distancing from Jesus all the way back in college. And I mean, before COVID even existed, you were kind of social distancing. The truth is, all you have to do is look up. He's been with you all along. He would love to be the leader of your life. Finally, for maybe the rest of us, we've, we've been walking this journey. It's just gotten a little weary, right? We're kind of worn out. We've been trying to follow Jesus as best we can. What would it look like for you today to simply look up and say, Jesus, would you be my strength again? Would you be my hope? Would you be my savior? Would you be my leader? Help me to follow you. What do you need to look up to Jesus for today? Can we pray? As we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to do something a little bit different. If you're able to, would you stand with me? 
Normally in the West, we pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, but that only started with the Puritans. The ancient Hebrews used to pray with their heads up and their eyes open. And so if you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to do just that as I lead us in prayer. Would you, would you look up and let this be our posture of prayer? Jesus, we look up again to you today. Just as the Israelites looked up to the serpent on a stick, just like Nicodemus looked up to you, Jesus, just like the women looked up to that empty tomb, today we look up to you. Would you be our savior? Would you be our leader? Would you be our hope? God, for some of us, we simply need to pray this prayer for the first time. Jesus, today I trust all that I know and understand of myself to all that I know and understand of you. For others, Jesus, we want to pray that prayer again. Would you again be the leader of our lives? And for all of us, Lord, today, would you fill us with the hope and joy of our salvation and the life that you came to give? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for being victorious over death for our benefit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.